0: where I go to the bathroom before I preach every single time. Dude, Larissa, you like that? Whenever you drink multiple cups of coffee in the morning, the last thing I want to do is be up here and be uncomfortable, you know what I mean? I'm taking my jacket off, not because um, it makes me more comfortable, but so that I can put the wire back behind there. Well. Almost said yeah. I would almost say yes a second ago, but I got it now. All right. Oh. I guess whenever I help serve communion and preach, it kind of comes down. Did I not do it? It comes down to the wire on that. My timing does. And then, you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work out. Did I get it that time? You know, the really fun thing is the people who listen to the Apple podcast are like, what's going on? Can we just get to the, get to the message? Wires and talks of going to the bathroom and all kinds of stuff. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing this morning? <laughs> I really missed you all last week. This has been the first time in a long time that I haven't preached for two weeks in a row, huh? Have you guys, y'all have enjoyed it, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's been great. Uh, my wife had a important birthday th- this last, well, last week, and so we went out of town. They're all important. This one's really important, but I don't wanna say, you know, what that is. Mm-hmm. These that's right. Uh, so we went to um Gatlinburg. So that was fun, right, babe? I oh. hope. <laughs> I had a fun time. I mean I don't know. You never know. I don't know if I've ever I just straight up asked her if she had a good time. So today we're going to be in Exodus 30 and 31, and as I was preparing for this, oh you got it up there, as I was preparing for this this morning, or not this morning, Well, yeah it was on Sunday morning, no, as I was preparing last week for this, uh, I knew what John was preaching on, or I knew the passage the, the week before, and I kept getting this eerie feeling as I prepared, Like, there are going to be some similarities to what John shared last week and what I had been preparing. So I went and listened to the podcast, and I was was right. And so towards the end of the message, there are going to be some, I would just say, probably reinforcement of some of the things that John was going to say. I almost pivoted, and then I realized that oftentimes we have to hear the same message. I mean, multiple times before it gets through our heads, right? I mean, how many? It's very rare that I listen to one sermon and it changes everything, unless it takes me down a path of study and I'm in times of study and in reflection and different things like that. So uh, I'm excited about what God's been sharing um, to us through the Word and through this section here. This is usually the section. Well, is this the section that we often kind of hit the pause button in interest, or do you guys get all excited about this kind of stuff? Like, man, the altar of incense—that's awesome. Wow, what are they? What are the priests wearing? So cool. Um, I hope that over the last several weeks and as we continue, you know, forward here, that we are that we're attentive to this. I think there's a lot of really beautiful things, as Greg has pointed out, as John has pointed out, over this this section of Scripture that we might miss if we well, maybe pause is not the right word if we hit the fast forward button and just kind of zoom through it so that we can kind of get back to the action. I think there's a lot that we can miss, and I'm excited about this this morning. Um, in this passage, it's like several of the other ones that we've had where there's a lot of different things they talk about, right? And for someone who's preparing a message, there's no way you can sit around and talk about the altar of incense and the oil and the the um, the incense itself and how it was created and and the water wash basin and the Sabbath. I mean, these are all things that are talked over this section, uh, but as I was preparing, there was one thing that just kind of kept hitting me as something common that was going throughout this, and that is the idea of the holy. You can go to the next slide if you want. I don't really know what picture to show for holy. I wrestled with I am like, I don't know. Because as I'm thinking about these items that we'll talk about some of them today, and I'm thinking about how God has called them holy, I said to myself, do most believers really know what holy means? Like if, if we just sort of walk into churches and just walk around and talk to people and say, hey, what is holy or holiness or whatever? What do these things mean? Do you think that a lot of people would be like, I got it? Or you think it would be kind of like, I, I don't know, it's something special maybe? Maybe there's, yeah, sacred, a sense of awe, which I mean there is absolutely that's part of it. But what does it mean? And interestingly enough, back in Exodus 19 that I've referenced multiple times that leads up to this passage of God calling them a kingdom of priests, in that, right after he calls them that, he says, you're going to be a holy nation. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're a holy nation? What does it mean that God in Leviticus, a little bit, will say, be holy as I am holy? Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter. And he calls and he applies it to us. Be holy as I'm holy. Paul talks about us being holy. If we don't understand what it is, it's probably awful hard for us to apply that to our lives. I think most of us, and I think I'm guilty of this, there's this idea of holiness and God saying be holy as I'm holy, and I think that's unattainable, so I just kind of forget about it. Or maybe I take the approach that Jesus has made us holy, and so I'm good, and it's almost like a, a badge or a seal or something that he's given us. But does that mean I'm supposed to do something? I don't know. I'd rather not think about it. <laughs> well, what do we do with this idea of God calling a people holy, a nation holy? We're invited into that. And what does that mean practically for us? I hope that we can kind of talk about that. And this is kind of one of those messages that I sometimes I think I have more questions than answers on some of it. Um, you can go to the next slide. It'll be back to the first one. That's right. That's correct. I put it in there twice. But what does an altar of incense oil, what does the wash basin, what do these things have to do with holiness? Because okay, I can understand that God's holy. Maybe I can understand that we're called to be holy, but inanimate objects are holy too? Like, what's up? Like, how can this gold, like it's acacia wood covered in gold, it talks about it here. How can this altar be holy? Well, what does that mean? Is it, is it, oh, you know, what, I don't know. And I, my hopes is that we're not gonna go, we are not gonna go over all these today, but my hopes is that as we kind of examine two or three of these pieces we begin to get an idea of what, better idea of what holiness or something being holy or holiness is and then hopefully how we can wrestle with applying that to our lives. Because I think the idea of holiness, of us walking in holiness, is challenging or we neglect it or we divide over it. I think uh, I heard N.T. Wright do a, you referenced N.T. Rider this morning, um, have a little short blurb, and he said one of the biggest challenges in Christianity is holiness and unity because they almost fight each other because we think that this is what God's call to holiness is, so we divide from you because you're not holy. You're not walking in that way. Or I think that this is what God's call the holiness is, and so we're not going to be part. Yeah, we don't want to be part of who you are. How do we walk as believers and unity together, but also have holiness as something that's a critical part. That is, that is a challenge, right? And I think we'll see that more as we pass through this. Go to the next slide. In addition to that challenge, you also have this challenge of how do we be holy in a culture that's unholy? And you may still be going, I'm not sure what holiness is, that's fine. Um, we're building it up. Israel was not called to be a holy nation to go isolate themselves in the promised land from the peoples of the world. We know that. We read the rest of the story. We know that Israel was called to be a holy nation. I don't want to go too far too fast. To be a holy nation in the midst of unholy nations. And to be that lighthouse, to be that light to the nations so that the nations can see who God is and what it means to be in relationship with him, and what it means to dwell in his kingdom, what it means for God to be king. We can continue to go on, but how do you dwell as a holy people in the midst of people who are unholy? And I look at Jesus, and I go, man, if anyone, of course this is easy to say, embodied it, it's this guy. Because in the midst of being around sinners and tax collectors, we don't see Jesus falling into the challenges that many had bound them. As you know, Andrew was talking about, things that had enslaved people, whatever it is, materialism or greed or whatever it is, we see Jesus being among it but not being enslaved by it. We see Jesus going to a wedding and, and everyone's having a great time and he makes wine to keep the party going and yet we don't see Jesus stumbling around getting drunk and doing stupid stuff, Right? So he's in the midst of this, and so I want us to ask as we go through and consider this holiness and holy, how can we in the midst, how can we be a holy people that is unified in Christ and also dwell among people who are not participating in that holiness and call them to participate? I don't necessarily, again, know the answers to all this. In fact, I told Greg before, this is a difficult topic to discuss holiness in general or the holy in general. And I pray that the Spirit uses me to articulate some of this well so that at least some of us can under grab hold of something here. But I think it's, I think it's a challenge, and I think it's something good the church doesn't wrestle with, I don't think, as much as we should. I think in the past we have. I think we've kind of gone from, one extreme, as we always do, to another, where almost nothing is holy these days. Though we sing songs today, holy, 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 beautiful, I love it. Yeah, so let's dive in. Before we look at a couple passages, I will say that there's multiple Hebrew words that, have, that relate to holy. Kedushah, kadosh, um, and they all kind of have nuances It's kind of like they all play notes, but it all comes together and and, and into a song. And so, those, some of the the Hebrew words, kind of the things that kind of start to bubble up to the surface, maybe that's a better way to say it, is that holiness or holy refers to uh, several things. One is something that is separated for a purpose, that's one of the biggest pieces. Um, in the scriptures, because there's other Near Eastern religions that use the, that word, but in, in the scriptures, it is set aside for God's purposes. So when God is calling Israel to be a holy nation, he's saying, Israel, I am, you're, you're not going into the problem. You're not unbound from slavery just to do what you want. I'm calling you to be a set-apart people with purpose. Another thing that's wrapped up in the idea of holiness is perfection or wholeness. And I think that's where we get that sense of awe when we cry out, holy, holy, holy to God. We recognize, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, he's holy other. There's this beautiful sense of awe that I think we should grab when we have holiness. And I hope to maybe stoke that again. Maybe we haven't recognized, that, like there is, there is something beautiful about the holiness, the, the perfection the absolute perfection of God. And yet there's something concrete in the use of the word holy for instruments that are set apart for his purpose. And I think there's other pieces to it, but I think this is kind of the main thing of what holiness is, and we're going to look at that uh, this morning. I'm going to start, I'm actually going to, Jump around, jump around a little. I'm going to actually start in 31, and I want to read. Go to the next slide, please. <clears throat> I want to read about Sabbath. I, I keep getting Sabbath. What's the deal with that? Maybe the Lord's telling me to chill. <clears throat> but again, I want to bring up. I can't. We can't bring up all these furnishings and all these different things. But I want to bring up a couple in the context of what does it mean that God is calling. We've been reading the passage. God is calling Israel into something, into holiness, into purpose. And these commands and these things that he's giving them is how they will be holy. Uh, 31.12 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelite people and say, Nevertheless, you must keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign okay, between me and you throughout the ages. So we see here that As we're going to see, he calls us holy. One thing is, it is a sign; it is a, a distinction among the people of God that you may know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, have consecrated you. So, not only is this a sign, this is also so that they may know that God is consecrated. And consecrated has to do with; it's tied in this holiness. It has to do with this full, this dedication. You are, you are consecrated, I'm making you holy, I'm dedicating you to this purpose. And they're being consecrated so that they can be holy. You shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy for you. So, this is so important to God, he says, he who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does work on it, on it that person, person shall be cut off from among his kin. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and briefly read the institution of this. Genesis 2 chapter 1 says, The heaven and the earth were finished. We've seen this grand, cosmic, beautiful picture of what God did when he created the heavens of the earth. When they were finished in all their array, On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day from all the work he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. This is the first mention of holy in the scriptures. Well before what he's talking about, he's done with Israel. He's given Israel. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because on it God ceased from all the work of creation he had done such is the story of heaven and earth when they were created. I know I've mentioned this before, but Adam and Eve are created on day six. In this story that's being told, it seems like it's very clear that it's being told. This first, after being uh, born and created, God's saying, enjoy what I've created. That God was adamant that God himself rested. But him declaring a holy means he set this day apart. He set this day knowing that I believe he's built into all of creation, a rhythm of rest that we need to participate in or we're going to wear ourselves out. But that as he's doing this, he knows, in addition to that, this challenge that humanities have, that we're either going to work, 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 or we're going to cause people that are under us to work, 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 or we're going to do these things. And he's saying, no, this is a vitally important piece. To understand that I am creator, that your job is not your identity, as Andrew would say earlier. Take a breath, enjoy creation, enjoy your family. This is what, enjoy me. This is a time dedicated to doing this. And God dedicates time oftentimes throughout Scripture. Have you ever thought about like we celebrated Passover? Think about the the seasons. Think about the celebrations and the festivals that God sets aside for special use, for purpose, to draw the hearts of Israel to Him for whatever reason you know it may be. I think that's important because I feel like our culture, at least in like um, contemporary evangelical, evangelical, evangel- how am I saying trying to evangelicalism? There it is. I was messing the K, the key, the K, no, it's a C. <laughs> messing the C up there um, that in that, that we have almost straight away from this setting things apart, these times apart. Um, we've gotten to where like, I, I know people that would be like, well, if God told us to Sabbath, well, that's a good thing. We should Sabbath all the time then. And do you, th- I don't, do you think that would be? You think that's right? You think that's God's call? No, we have work to do, right? But to take time as sacred, to take time as holy, to take time and say this is what we're going to do, I feel like we've kind of lost some of that. Um, it kind—it reminded me of like even Greg talking about church buildings, not, what, two weeks ago or something like that? And I, I amen him because I feel like I'm this was exact same way that, you know, at one point I almost had a disdain for this idea of big, elaborate, you know, church buildings and stuff, going, Man, think of all the poor people and the money that could be going to this and all this, and I can't believe that, that they would do that you would do this. And if you build this building, then maybe you um, are unintentionally saying this is the only place you can worship or pray or do things like that. Not realizing that God has given men and women this beautiful creative gift with their hands, skills, as John showed with his woodworking and stuff, to say, "I'm going to create this space." Have you ever gone into like a cathedral or something where it's just like awe, Like you just kind of like, "Whoa." Like you almost feel like God is in here." But it's, it's because there's this, this creativity and this, this beauty. In fact, when I take the kids to school, I drive by the big Methodist church on uh, Siegel and i love it like i'm always like it reminds me of the lord i look at the stained glass i look at the 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 way that it's shaped and everything and i'm like wow that's that's cool i think that again we tend to often run one direction because maybe we were too focused in another i mean the, of course the opposite side of that would be to create this place where that's the only place you can do X, Y, or Z. And as Chuck pointed out earlier, which I think is vitally important in this conversation, is this tabernacle that we're talking about in the pieces that we are God's tabernacle, tab- tabernacle now. Which again makes me go, wow. If that was set apart as holy, we know for darn sure that we as a people are set apart as holy. But I think that that's something that we should consider in our lives practically. If we're called to be a holy people, what are the spaces that we're creating to reflect on that and to participate in that day in and day out? And it's okay to do that. You know, like, like, how do I say this? I enjoy having relations with my wife. That's the way I'll say it. Sorry, Larissa. I can't do that all the time. Right? But I feel like sometimes that's the way we've approached things. Like, oh man, well, if there's prayer, I should pray all the time. And yes, of course you should pray all the time. But there's also a place for closeness and intimacy and a part to separate. Sorry, did I embarrass you? I didn't mean to. Sorry, babe. But I think that's something that we've been discussing here. And I think that we've been creating those. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And so I just ask us to consider some of that in our own lives and continue to consider that corporately. What spaces, as God separated and said, hey, Sabbath, this is the day for this. What spaces are we created? What seasons have, are we creating where we're able to reflect, focus on the Lord, and walk in his purpose? Because we have been made for purpose. If you go to the next slide, I'm going to go back to Exodus. Exodus. And I want to read about the oil. Who knew oil could be so cool? All right. 30, 22. Did I just mess everybody up by saying that? I just figured it was the best way to make the point. Because that's something that most of us all want to do. All right. Exodus 30, 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take choice spices, 500 weight of solidified myrrh, half as much, 250 of fragrant cinnamon, 250 of aromatic cane, 500 by the sanctuary weight of cassia, a hen and a hen of oil. This translation I'm reading is a little choppy, um, probably should do another one, but anyways, make of this a sacred anointing oil, a compound of ingredients expertly blended, to serve as sacred anointing oil. With it, anoint the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Pact, or Ark of Covenant, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and all its fittings, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils and the laver and its stand. Thus you shall consecrate them so that they may be most holy. Whoever touches them shall be consecrated. You shall also anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrated, consecrating them to serve me as priests. And then he goes on to say, and speak to the Israelite people as follows. This shall be an anointing oil sacred to me throughout the generations. It must not be rubbed on any person's body, and you must not make anything like it in the same proportions. It is sacred to be held sacred by you. Whoever compounds its like or puts any of it on a layman shall be cut off from his kin. Kind of that part reminds me of the thought of, hey, if Sabbath is good, well, then let's just Sabbath every day. God is calling them to create this expertly blended oil. And our first reaction might be, well, if that's good, then dump it all over me, Lord. But in fact, in this scenario, God said, no, this is something, again, holy. This is something that's going to be set apart for a specific purpose. And as it's set apart for this specific purpose, you're not to just kind of use it flippantly. And as I read this, this sense of awe with holiness or with the holy I think comes into effect. Because again, I think one of the challenges that we have is that we often approach the presence of God and the idea of it we have very flippantly, like, hey, bro, what's up, God, what's up, man, you know, but recognizing that this sense of God's holiness should set us back in awe and wonder. It's like we're constantly going from one side to the other side, and, and, and as I considered this, I, I thought to myself, this is probably why God reveals himself as Father, because, as we're le- singing this morning, I don't know what Owen's doing over here. I don't know what happens, but I'm scared to death of Ryan when he goes. I'm like, oh shoot! He made him go sit over there with him, and I, I, I'm, I'm, he's sitting right in front of me. I feel terrible. Like, I don't. I'm not. I'm, I'm not even paying attention to his child. Sorry, Ryan. But as a father, there is this reality that he has all authority (laughs) in no one's life. And as children, we recognize that, hey, now some of our dads were bad. Some of it abused it, like right? So we understand this. Hopefully we understand that part. But even for great fathers like Ryan, we recognize as children that, hey, he has authority. He's more powerful than I am. And there's a sense of honor and respect and awe and yet there's also this reality that Owen can go and crawl up in his lap and Ryan can, I would say read him a book, but it probably doesn't happen anymore. Play My Singing Monsters on your, on your iPad and, or whatever together. But there's this, this part that God has the door, that this path that God has opened for us through Christ where it says we can boldly come before the throne, but it also doesn't say, I think Greg mentioned this, we flippantly come before the throne and just, hey, what's us go. And yet he's Father. And I don't think that these two things are competing with each other. I think it's both sides of the character of God. And that a proper way to look at it is understanding the awesomeness of God. I mean, we could just pause and just try to wrap our minds around who God is. It's very difficult (laughs) to even come close. His awesomeness, his perfection, his power but also recognize that in the midst of a God being like that, he calls us and draws us near to his heart because he loves us dearly. And man, that makes me love him even more, thinking about him in that way. So what does this mean for us? If God is holy, if he's calling us to be holy, to be set aside for his purposes, oftentimes, and even in scripture when it mentions holiness, often there is a list of don'ts. And I think that that sometimes comes into our mind because of that, and rightfully so. Like, hey, we don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And yet, in the reality of what holiness is, is being set aside for a purpose, there's also a big piece of it that says you do something. It's not just a, I don't do this, I don't do this to stay holy. It is that we are participating in God's purpose for our lives, and that God has through Jesus made us holy in the midst of unholiness and says, what is and calls us to walk in his purposes. And this oil that they would just they would put on all these different utensils and different things like that is said that oil consecrated it. And I feel like the word consecration is like some good old school preaching that we don't preach about anymore. <laughs> if you, Have we consecrated? But it's a great question. Have we we collectively consecrated ourselves to the Lord? Again, it's it's not, as I mentioned a few weeks, it's not just Jesus come live in my heart. It's like, no, this is real. This is the holy that we're dealing with, that we're operating. This is serious. Have we consecrated ourselves to say, God, we will be used for your purpose and for your glory? And then if we say yes to that, what does that look like practically? And I hope maybe to just stir, encourage, and stir some things up in us by me reading the, the last section that I'll read today. And there's going to be a lot of several things that John had uh, mentioned last week that's just been on my heart to, to say, and I'll reiterate. Next slide. I'm going to read 31. 31. Verse 1, start there. The Lord spoke to Moses, See, I have singled out by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have endowed him with a divine spirit of skill, ability, and knowledge in every kind of craft to make designs for work in gold, silver, and copper, to cut stones for setting and to carve wood, to work in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have assigned to him Aholiab, son of Yeah, of the tribe of Dan. I always mess up his name, I don't know why. And I have also granted skill to all who are skillful that they may make everything that I commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the pact, and the cover upon it, and all its furnishings in the tent, and so forth, and so on. One thing that, I, that stands out to me in this passage is the people that are being invited to work in this, the tabernacle. This is the place of God's presence, which we are now. Mm-hmm. These people aren't Levites, like from the tribe of Dan and from the tribe of Judah. Because we might initially think that with Aaron and his sons, if you know, like these were, you had to come from the tribe of Levite to minister in the tabernacle. And that's right, that's true. But as this is being constructed, God is so much more creative than we are. And I feel like in the church, we often create these dang bottlenecks that doesn't inspire people to use their gifts and their talents as holy people to the Lord in the midst of an unholy play, you know, generation or whatever we want to say. Like we get the idea that the only people that participate are the ministers, as maybe here, Aaron and his sons. Like they're the ones that do the sacrifices, absolutely. They're the ones that light the altar of incense, absolutely. They're the ones that keep it burning perpetually, absolutely. But in the creation of this, God is calling other people who he has given great skills to participate in this. I feel like we create these bottlenecks that say, like, if we want to be holy and operate in God's, as God's holy people, then I have to be a preaching minister or kids ministry or youth ministry or whatever these things may be. And honestly, they're good things. Like, I'm not hating on, I'm not saying anything negative about those things. But it creates this idea that, no, we're, God called the people of Israel to be a holy nation. He didn't say there's a few people that will be holy among you he said i'm calling you all as set apart for my purposes and i get excited because i hear john talking about his woodworking and i go you know these pieces of wood <laughs> every time he uses the word crotch it makes everyone giggle i know that that's why i got so many texts after last after last uh, sermon so i know you're going to giggle if i use that word but i'm going to use anyways because that's what it's called The crotch of the tree that would often, that would very oftentimes be tossed, burned, left to rot. John makes into these beautiful bowls. He makes into these beautiful vases. And what I love about when I see online or when he shows, there is a passion for God and his creation and revealing the beauty in that that John has. And it gets me excited. And I go, man, how can we. How can we all participate in the gifts and the skills that God has given us to be as the people of God to show this world what it's like, God's character, what it's like to be in relationship with him. I know there's, how many people do I have that sow here? Look at that. I know we got tons of sewers, sewers. But I bet whenever Trudy makes those bears that it brings so much joy to kids' faces when they see that, Right? I know that whenever Pat's helping out at the prison and doing things like, you know, with, uh, with those ladies, that they're learning skills and that it's beautiful. Even Greg learned how to do some stuff, right, Greg? You learned how to make a wreath, kind of. We have people that love flowers and gardens, like I know Helen does. Who else does gardening in here? I know Andrew does and David, yeah. And the best thing you can do in holiness is to bring food for your preacher to eat from the gardens, I think that's a direct word. Now, I better be quite careful or I get struck. But do we consider, like I saw Helen post about some flowers, and I thought, God's creation is beautiful. I love what you made, Helen. That's so cool. And I thought to myself, why? Are, I don't think we do a poor, I think we do, and in Stones River we're pretty good, but I think as in general, we do a poor job of encouraging people in their crafts. I know Donna is great at design and it's awesome. I like to look at the things that, that the way she, she sees things and stuff. What how beautiful is that? To walk as God's people in the crafts and the skills that we have for his glory. And we, I guess we just kind of, again, I feel like we're just uncreative. Like there are people who play instruments and beautiful like Bruce and Georgia and we have all this wonderful singers and and um, but I love seeing Diane sing with with her ladies outside of these walls I think we should do it here I think it's we want to do it here we use the skills here that's what they're doing they're like this is important among the people of God but I love the idea of doing showing these skills and these talents and these things that God has given us letting our light shine with them you know what I mean? Uh, as I went back to being a salesperson, <laughs> you ever like step away from something for a while and you kinda and you have a new perspective when you get back into it, right? I think a- almost all of us do. We've probably grown, we've probably matured, we probably also forgot all the negative that came, and so we're like, hey, we're all good. But I asked the Lord, you know, as I'm doing this to <sighs> help me to stay focused on what it means to walk with him as I do this job and does anyone like salespeople Mike Maranoff might be because he does he's one no everyone I mean why do we why do we not like salespeople they're going to convince us to buy something we don't want to buy or maybe to spend too much money like you're at I don't really want that car, but he's going to convince me or she's going to convince me to get all the options and I don't really want all, I don't really need all that stuff. I don't need heated seats. It's kind of nice, I bet. I don't have them. I don't know. I know some people that do. I'm a little jealous. But I don't need all that stuff, right? We're worried that we can trust them, right? Like we think that most salespeople are probably thinking more about their commission check than they are about actually helping us. And I thought to myself, I could treat going back to the workplace as, well, going to make some money for the family, you know, I don't know. You've got to make money. Or I could treat it as if God's called me to participate in who He is and His holiness, how can the way that I treat other people and take this job even change the way people look? Potentially, at least at some sales, folks. How can I put other people's needs in front of my own 100% of the time? God will take care of the bills. He'll take care of all that stuff. How can I treat people with dignity and respect? How can I bring information that would be helpful and not harmful? Does it make it muddier, but makes the picture clearer? I'm taking this as every day, I before I start work, I just talk to God, I say a quick prayer, and just... Lord, help me to, to be this light here. Bring across my path whomever you want, but help me to excel at um, doing this as you would do it. I think that we can all join in, and I know most, so, so many of you already do that, but sometimes we just need to be encouraged again. You know, right? Like there's times, I'm sure in, in six months you may have to encourage me with the same words I'm saying right now. <laughs> Man, it's been tough, and it's been, but I just felt like a stir to creativity, a stir to gifts and talents and in the workplace and different things, we are a holy people. God has called us holy and he set us apart for his purposes. How can we join in with the most creative being in the universe to use those gifts and those purposes for him so that the world around us can be in awe of our holy God? Father, um, I... Just thinking of your holiness, your perfection um your otherness i'm I'm in awe that you invite us that you've you've invited us into that and um there's no way except through you and your messiah that there's any way we could be a part of that Lord we're so unholy without him. Words are inadequate to express my thanksgiving for that, but we are thankful for it, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would, as you're calling Israel, to be a set-apart people, a people set-apart for your glory, that you would, Holy Spirit, teach us what that means today for us, for the set-apart people, uh, that have been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. Help us to know what that means in relation to your resurrection and your kingdom, Jesus, and how we can be attentive to what that means corporately and individually, day in and day out. That, Lord, if there's times that we need to set aside, as we talked about earlier, creating space for whatever it is you want to do, Lord, I pray that you would give us that heart if there's a new way we need to look at our hobbies, if there's a new way we need to look at our jobs, I pray that you would help us to do that. Because we want to show the world the beauty of your holiness. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.